0: Welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast keeping you up to date with the drivers, trends and moves in agricultural markets. My name is Olivia Agar and today's episode is something outside our normal topics of discussion on the podcast. We're calling into the home of a very famous stampede in Canada, but it's not to talk about cattle. This episode is all about the fertilizer market. And for that, we've brought in an expert from Mercado's extended family. Yao Yao has been with Nutrien for 12 years as a market research manager specialising in fertiliser, and he's based out of Calgary. When Mercado first became part of the Nutrien group, we were pretty excited to find that we had counterparts in Canada in Nutrien's global market research team, which Yao is a part of. And while we tend to focus on the factors that are impacting Australian production and markets... We've now got access to this team that's right in the detail of analyzing global agricultural trends and commodities that are big global influences, but might not take up much space on the ground here, which means we can now bring some of that insight into Mercado's offering, which I think is pretty amazing. And to kick things off today, we are chatting about the fundamentals and market drivers of some key fertilizer products, which don't tend to get much airtime here in Australia, especially from a market's perspective. So I'm looking forward to breaking that down today. And after a short thanks to this week's sponsor, we'll get underway.
1: Today's podcast is sponsored by Western Union. If you're looking to partner with an agribusiness specialist to optimise your cross-border and foreign exchange risk management, the team at Western Union will equip you with the solutions you need to send, receive and manage your international payments. Thanks for tuning in. and We hope you enjoy the conversation.
0: Well, it's a real pleasure to be talking with Yao today. We've been having these regular cross-country market catch-ups with Yao and the rest of the global research team from Canada, where we give a bit of an update on what's happening in Australian commodity markets and then get to learn about what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere. So we just had our most recent catch-up yesterday, which I always love because we get to talk to people that are just as enthused about markets as we are. And also get some insight into commodity markets that we aren't completely focused on, but are still a pretty important part of our production system here, which brings me to today, your area of expertise, Yao, which is the fertilizer market. So thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for the invite, Olivia. It's really a great pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, beautiful. As a starting point, we know uh, COVID has impacted all sectors in some shape or form this year, but what about the fertilizer sectors? We know everyone's still growing crops, but has there been much of an impact on overall demand because of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question, uh, Olivia. And uh, as you just mentioned, you know, COVID-19 has had huge impacts on many different uh, business sectors so far in 2020. And in most cases, in a negative way, as you can imagine. Um, But luckily for uh, the the crops, so the demand for agricultural products and fertilizer products actually have continued to increase. Uh, in 2020, and then that's largely because um, agricultural products, so crops and also feathers, uh, are considered as essential products and services in many jurisdictions, particularly in China and in India. Uh, you know where um, food security and food safety remains top priority in those countries, and you could arguably say even more so this year compared to the past years. So um, that's and if you look at feather. Uh, demand alone, uh, we expect leather demand will increase by 3% uh, in 2020. So that's much better compared to uh, many sectors out there. And I'll just give you a quick example. If you look at Brazil uh, this year, the GDP for the whole country is expected to contract by 6%. But the GDP for the agriculture space or sector is actually expected to increase by 12%. Uh, so that's huge contrast and really speaks to the resilient nature of the agriculture sector and the agriculture uh, business. And apparently this is not just unique for Brazil. And when you look at some other countries like Pakistan, India, we were talking about very similar situations. So a contract um, a decline in global, a decline in the GDP growth for the whole country, but the agriculture sector looks much more positive uh, in those regions.
0: Yeah, wow, I mean, they're really interesting stats, Yao. And anecdotally, we're seeing a- a similar thing in Australia where um, agriculture this year is particularly strong coming out of the the drought and being a real lifter to the global economy. And um, agriculture has been seen as one of the real pieces that can help us get through and out the other side of this. So it's interesting to see those stats come out of other countries as well. And and how about prices uh, how have they been trending at a global level for this year so far across the different types of you know n p and k
1: yeah, so um, in general, the global feather prices were pressured uh, in the first half of this year, but prices for all NPk uh, markets have rebounded and quite significantly actually in the last uh, five or six months. So that's largely due to, or supported by the improved agriculture fundamentals. So when you look at the prices for corn, soybeans, or cotton, or wheat, or even palm oil in the Southeast Asian regions, uh, the prices for all those crops have, have increased quite dramatically. In the last five or six months. So that has really triggered or um, incentivized more or purchasing activities at the farm level as the affordability has improved for the global farmers. So I think in general we're talking about a much more positive agriculture uh, sentiment uh, at the moment today versus five or six months ago. And uh, if you look at a product by product, Olivia, I think for potash, uh, as soon as China and India, two of the, the largest uh, contractual potash markets in the world, as soon as they settled their new potash contracts at the end of April and early May this year, and which provided a good benchmark uh, prices to the global potash market, we've seen that prices in the key spot markets, in, particularly in Brazil and in the United States, uh, have also started to increase uh, since, since May uh, uh, this year. And uh, for um, for nitrogen, uh, I guess, um, you know, for most of 2020, we've had a pretty low natural gas prices in some of the key producing regions, particularly in, in Europe. So that low natural gas prices in that region uh, really allowed the producers in Europe and Ukraine as well, uh, be able to operate uh, even when demand was soft uh, in the first half of this year. So that has put a lot of downward pressure on nitrogen prices, but now um, natural gas prices have been increasing, uh, particularly in Western Europe. Uh, we're talking about $5 per million BTU natural gas prices in Western Europe right now, compared to as low as $2 per million BTU in the summer. So from cost standpoint, that has been supportive to uh, nitrogen prices in the, in the last little while. And also we are seeing improved natural demand, particularly on the industrial side. So that, that, that has been uh, also supportive to the, the global nitrogen market
0: demand has been quite strong for nitrogen and urea, but what's the situation on the supply side?
1: Yeah, we don't really have, I mean, for, for potash, we, um, we had some new capacities uh, coming downstream, particularly from Russia this year. Um, so from Eurochem, they continue to ramp up their greenfield uh, in, in, in Russia there. But outside of Eurochem, we, we don't really have a lot of new capacity coming downstream. Uh, actually, we've seen some production issues Uh, Out of uh, out of uh, um, Belarus, Kelly, as uh, you probably heard, they had uh, some strike issues in the summer of this uh, of this year. So that has uh, actually impacted their production capabilities. So that's on parash. And for uh, urea and ammonia, we don't really have a lot of new capacity coming on stream this year. Actually, in fact, for ammonia, because of the uh, the relatively soft demand uh, and the soft prices in the first half, we actually saw some curtailments uh, in terms of operations. Uh, from from the global producers, particularly in Trinidad.
0: And with the urea market, I mean, it's, it's not something that we focus a lot on in terms of our market analysis. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what the real key fundamentals are in that market which drives the the global uh, urea market? Which countries are sort of the key, key players that we're always watching?
1: Absolutely, Olivia. So, uh, speak of uh, global urea market, I think uh, really we, we look at two parts. One is the agriculture demand for urea has been so strong this year, uh, for the reasons we just said above. And actually the industrial demand for nitrogen products, so including both ammonia and the urea took a little bit of hit. Particularly, I mean, for ammonia it took a larger hit, but for, for uh, urea less hit in the first half uh, due to COVID-19. But we are seeing some recoveries on the, on the demand on the industrial side. Uh, in terms in terms of key regions we keep close eyes on, uh, I think it's fair to say that India uh, has been playing an essential role in terms of supporting global urea market and the prices so far this year by announcing massive uh, import tenders uh, throughout 2020. So when you look at India in 2019, uh, India imported about 9.7 million tons of urea um, so which is record high level, uh, and then even for and then for 2020, we expect India will can the demand in India continue to be strong, and we expect them to in- uh, import about 9.2 million tons uh, of urea this year, so representing roughly about 20% of the global trade from that one single country. So that has really supported the global uh, urea um, market and prices, and the reason for that is because uh, India had a pretty good uh, monsoon season this year during the. the the carry planting season and also India had very good uh, urea subsidy programs from the government and this combined with increasing uh, prices for their crops really supported uh, their urea demand in uh, in 2020. Another region so that's I would say India is probably the largest uh, driver on the on the demand side uh, for 2020. Uh, On the export side I think we uh, a region that we Uh, spend a lot of time looking at is china because um, china continues to be the marginal supplier uh, to the global urea market Uh, so their cost positions and export prices uh, continue to establish the floor prices for the global urea market and for china this year we expect the uh, the the exports out of china will be around five million tons so similar to uh, last year's level but down quite dramatically compared to four or five years ago when they used to export 14 million tons of urea uh, to the global market. So those are the two key regions that we keep close eyes on. Uh, and of course, uh, the positive fundamentals in Brazil and the United States are also supporting the regional urea demand in those regions as well.
0: Do you have much of an idea on what the demand is going to be like um, in Australia for the for the next year? Yeah, I know you focus on the North America and the, the big consumers um, of fertilizer, but yeah, do you have any insight on Australia?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, it's fair to say that the demand, the fertilizer demand overall has been pretty good uh, in Australia this year, actually much better than what we anticipated at the beginning of this year. I think that's largely supported by the improved rainfall uh, after consecutive years of um, drought situations. And uh, I think for potash, the demand, the, the, the total consumption for potassium chloride is about 450,000 tons this year. So, relatively stable uh, compared to the last couple of years. But for urea, as we speak, uh, Olivia, uh, I just read uh, some stats that uh, we expect uh, urea demand is going to increase by over 20% in Australia this year to um, roughly about 2.8 million tons compared to 2.2 million tons last year. So that's largely uh, supported by the by the large increase in wheat area, but also as we mentioned by the improving uh, weather conditions and the beneficial planting uh, for for the crops in the season so and then you know when you look at that two point eight million tons. Uh, Urea demand about 90% of that demand has to be met through imports so roughly uh, importing about 2.5 million tons of urea for for Australia and also uh, I think overall phosphate consumption is also expected to to increase by about 10% uh, in Australia this year compared to last year uh, for similar reasons. Supported by the positive agriculture fundamentals. I think we've talked to you, you know, yesterday had a pretty good uh, dialogue on the on the positive fundamentals in the, in the agriculture space in Australia in particular. So I think that really laid out a very good fundamental and cash flow situations for Australian farmers to purchase Flazers uh, for the rest of this year and going into 2021 uh, season as well.
0: Yeah, it definitely is a positive outlook here Yao and and some strong fertiliser de- demand up and coming, which is good to see for all our producers. And it sounds like the, the global fertiliser situation is um, pretty tight supply and demand to continue going forward. So it, is there anything particular that you're watching in the fertiliser market for the rest of the year and going forward into 2021?
1: Of course, Olivia, there are many factors we're watching. So, but I, I think a couple key ones is uh, on the potash side, I think uh, uh, the, the key thing we're watching is uh, the, the market conditions, uh, particularly in the, the key spot markets like Brazil, South Asia, and then also United States, um, you know, uh, whether the agricultural fundamentals will, will maintain the strong momentum that we're seeing today going into uh, 2021. So that's something we're watching very closely. And also we're monitoring uh, the status of new potash contract negotiations in both China and India and to see exactly when they're going to uh, settle their new potash contracts in 2021 and also at what price level and uh, on the capacity side on the supply side i think as we just talked in 2020 we've seen some uh, additional capacity from russia from eurochem in particular and in 2021 we expect the uh, eurochem will continue to bring some new production uh, from their greenfield project in there so that's something also we have on our radar uh, on the potash sector um, for nitrogen uh, i think uh, you know the uh, The natural gas price movement, that will continue to be something uh, interesting to watch to see if they're going to continue to increase or are are they going to have that seasonality fluctuations going into 2021. So uh, the natural gas prices, particularly in Western Europe and the U.S., and also the coal prices in China, uh, that's something we're watching very closely. Um, And also the speed of industrial demand recoveries uh, for ammonia and uh, urea, that's something Uh, we're watching and also from supply standpoint uh, there are a few projects new uh, urea projects being proposed and scheduled to come on stream in the first half of 2021 from middle east and north african regions so um, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether those projects will come on stream on time or they're going to be delayed um, due to covid19 so that's something we're watching very closely so in the phosphate space, the, the biggest uh, thing we're watching right now is, as probably you've heard this, that Mosaic, which is a U.S.-based company, filed countervailing duties against uh, Moroccan and, and Russian phosphate imports coming to the U.S. in June. And actually yesterday, U.S. Depart- Depart- Department of Commerce uh, just announced the preliminary uh, decisions and duties uh, on that, ranging from 21% to 73%. Uh, on phosphate imports from Morocco and and Russia. And of course, that's just uh, preliminary uh, rulings and decisions. We're still patiently waiting for the final decisions to come out, most likely in the first quarter of 2021. So if they keep uh, the decisions and then keep the duties imposed on on Morocco and and, and Russia, uh, then potentially we're going to see some uh, trade flow changes where in the US we could see more um, domestic sales in the u.s market and less offshore imports uh, from particularly from morocco and from russia and meanwhile ocp from morocco and then uh, the russian producers they will have probably have to find new homes for their products so uh, we're still um, waiting for the final decision to come out and uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, how the, the the shifts in trade flow will happen there
0: yeah really interesting is And could be some big changes um, coming up in that market on the back of that decision. So we're glad that you're all over at YOW and keeping us up to date with all these movements in the fertilizer markets that you're watching very closely. Um, Thanks so much for coming on today. But before we finish up, we do always ask our guests one left field question. So mine for you today uh, when we can get back and traveling overseas, and you're based in Calgary, so what should we be doing in Calgary as a first-time visitor? Um,
1: absolutely coming to visit Bath. That's, uh, that's the, the most beautiful uh, natural uh, site that uh, one can ask for. So uh, beautiful mountains and beautiful uh, lakes. So that's, uh, that's always what I would recommend to my friends and uh, to come visit and coming to Calgary the first time.
0: Yep. And and the cold weather sounds pretty good to me at the moment. It's pretty hot on the East Coast here at the moment. So some snow and big warm clothing would be nice and we'll definitely look forward to getting there one day, Yao. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining me again, Yao. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode of Commodity Conversations. As always, we'd love if you could Give us a review or some um, feedback on the podcast and we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks Yao and thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Commodity Conversations. We'd really like to hear what you thought of today's episode and whether we should cover off on crop inputs more into the future both on the podcast and in our analysis on the Mercado website. So please let us know. Until next time, have a great week.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Commodity Conversations. This week was brought to you by Western Union Finance. Audio production by David Myers.